0: But tonight, we close out Romans 8, Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, and let's pray before we open up this word tonight. Our Father, we pray that you would attend to the reading and especially the preaching of your word this evening, that it would not return void, that it would be effectual in our hearts and our minds and our souls. That you would work your purposes and accomplish your will within us. For that to occur, your spirit has to be moving and stirring. We're thankful that your spirit is not tied to a certain place. Some of us can be here, and some of us can be there, and some of us can be there, and some of us over there. And your spirit can take this same word, and apply it to different hearts in the ways that it's needed. Would you work in such a way this evening, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. This is the holy and word of God, Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, the grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. The close here of what is arguably the most glorious chapter in all the scriptures, and the ending of this chapter doesn't uh, doesn't discourage. Uh, reaches a climax here, doesn't it? Kind of lifts us up. You read these verses, and our souls should be lifted up, and the result should be a, a peace and a joy that really as the scriptures speak about a rest that surpasses understanding. So we think about this text, we have a simple question in this text. The argument is then brought to bear about that question, what is seen and what is unseen Paul wrestles with and then he gives the answer. So, so let's look at the question first of all. This question that has to be settled in our souls, it has to be settled in our minds, it has to be settled in our hearts, and let's look at the arguments that are being brought to bear, and then let's look at the answer that Paul gives, and then just look at a few applications. The question frames it all. It's a question that every Christian has wrestled with at some time or another, if you have been in the Christian life for any period of time. uh, Most likely, this question has come to you, and we have to answer it. And if we don't know how to answer this question, then this is the kind of question that can dominate the mind and dominate the heart and can bring us down to the very slew of despond. That's this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We shall separate us from the love of Christ? This question follows in a series of questions that Paul asks here in Romans 8. He asks the first one there in verse 31 in this last half of Romans 8 who can be against us? In verse 33, he says who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And then in verse 34, he says who is condemned? But if we were to take all of these and we were to sum them up, what is the great fear here? What is the great question? It's this one that he ends with. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And isn't that an important question? This love that belongs to Christ. It's Christ's love. It's not our love that Paul was speaking about here in this question and that he's getting ready to address. Listen, yours and my love for Christ will wax and wane. It will sometimes be greater and sometimes it will be lesser. The question is, what about Christ's love for us? Is His love for us constant? Can His love for us be turned back? Can He take what He has given to us in His love and then all of a sudden retract it? Is that a possibility? For to contemplate what could separate us from the love of Christ, Paul's first lines of contemplation and thinking about it is, well, what do you think about? You think about the things that you can see. The things that come and in, into our world and that we see in our world and we see the way that they Wreak havoc and destruction, and then even worse when they come into our own lives. And so he talks about these things that we can see. Shall tribulation separate us from the love of Christ? Shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swords separate us from the love of Christ? And all of us know that question. You've lived any period of the Christian life. It comes when we look at the threatenings of this world, but it especially comes, as I said, when, when we're going through these trials. And our minds flood with, does Christ still love me? I know God is love. But does He love me? Maybe I know that He did love me, but does He now love me? It's a question that is asked in different ways throughout the Scriptures. The Psalms are especially rife with it. David is often crying out and wondering whether God is for His good or not. And reminding himself as he goes through some psalm of lament that God is indeed for his good. think about Psalm 38 was what I was thinking about this afternoon. Just listen to the cry of David in the psalm. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning for My sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails, and the light of my eyes it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off and that's just half the psalm shall tribulations shall distress shall persecution, shall famine for nakedness, shall danger or sword separate us from the love of Christ this isn't just a Question We hear in the Psalms or just in our own minds and hearts. It's something we see throughout the scriptures as people face different trials. Paul knows this wrestling from what he experienced in his life. When Paul writes this very book here, Romans, he has already experienced what he communicates in 2 Corinthians wasn't always living a kind of continual mountaintop spiritual retreat in his walk with Christ. Now he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Tribulations, trials, danger. I remember a uh, seminary professor saying to our class one day, we were sitting in class and he. He said, don't ever write a book on marriage until you've been married 25 or more years. Because we don't really care what you have to say until you've weathered some of the storms. Paul knows of what he speaks about here in this text. He's experienced it. He then quotes from Psalm 44, this great psalm of lament. It says, for your sake, O Lord, we are being killed all the day long. Not just every day, but all the day long. Throughout each and every day, we're being killed for you, Lord. And often that's how it feels. And Sometimes that is how it is. Paul's talking about here that the, the worst possible outcome of our trials in this world, death. We're being killed all the day long, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's just mentioned danger. He's just mentioned a sword. And it appears as though when people are martyred for the faith that we are truly defeated by our adversaries in this world. They win, we lose. No, says Paul. No. No. The reality is that even if we die in martyrdom, we have the victory. So again, the question comes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall these things that we see and experience separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul's categorical answer is no. Can't ever be. The reality is that even in martyrdom, we have the victory. And it's not just a slight victory. It's complete and total victory. We are more than conquerors, he says. Nothing is taken from us. Even if our life is taken on earth, we go to be in the presence of our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Walter Smith, the Scottish covenanter, was being put to death for his faith and his commitment to Christ. He, he walked the stairs up to the scaffold, and when he got on the top of the scaffold, he looked back at his family and his friends, and he said this to them. He said, farewell, all created enjoyments. Pleasures and delights, farewells, sinning and suffering. Farewell, praying and believing. And welcome, heaven and singing. Welcome, joy and the Holy Ghost. Welcome, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. In all of these things we are more than conquerors. Okay, Paul can understand that about the things that we see. But what about the things that are unseen? What about those things that we, we don't quite know about? Maybe there's some hidden monster that will come out at the right time like a grinch up in the hills that when he sees the opportunity, he comes down and he seizes our souls from Christ. Isn't that what often scares us the most is what we can't see? I refuse to get into the ocean unless I can see the seafloor I have on goggles because you know there are things down there and I can't see them. That monster under the bed, kind of syndrome. And so this is where Paul goes next. Having addressed what we can see, now he addresses what we cannot see. Verse 38, For I'm sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, meaning other angelic beings, most likely demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, which Paul, when he says this, often uses this to speak about mighty works or miraculous kind of things, nor height, nor depth. But we have everything in time here, that which is present and that which is to come. Everything in space here, no matter what height or what depth. And just in case we want to dream up another possible foe coming from some other possible hidden place, Paul adds, nor anything else in all of creation. Nor anything else, anything. That is everything in creation can't take us away from the love of Christ. But what's outside of creation? There's only one thing, it's the Creator, and He's the one that loves you. So nothing can take His love away from you, nothing. Love of God in Christ Jesus. It's a fortress. It's a citadel. It's a castle that can't ever be shaken. It can be assaulted, it it can be besieged. But it will never fail. You're safe in the harbor of Christ's love, dear Christian. When a a ship is in the harbor and it, it puts down its anchor, the waves can roll and the wind can blow. But it's safe. It's hemmed in on every side. It can be still and it can have peace. There's nothing more assured. There's nothing more fixed. There's nothing more guaranteed than your acceptance in Christ, dear Christian. It's underwritten by the unfathomable riches of His glory, He's promised it. God cannot deny. Himself and denying his love would be denying himself. So three applications. First, this means you can rest in Christ. You can rest in Christ. Notice that Romans 8 begins with no condemnation. In verse 1, and then it ends in verse 39 with no separation. Our salvation is a whole. He saved us, and so He will save us. If we are truly Christ, then all is ours. So then, let us make sure that we're resting, resting in Christ. Christ is ours, then we enjoy the rest, and we enjoy the freedom that comes with being in Christ. Second, this means that assurance is a gift you are to enjoy, Christian. It's been handed to you. It's one of the great benefits that is yours in Christ. It belongs to you, assurance where you can rest and you can have peace and you can have joy no matter what is going on around you because you're secure in the love of Christ and you know you can't be separated from that. It's my favorite chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith and that's saying something. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18. It is it's my favorite because I think the Westminster Divines, as we call them, the, the men that met together over all of those years to write the Westminster Confession of Faith, I, I think this is the most beautiful section of the entire confession. I just say it so well, and so encouragingly. But listen to this in chapter 18, section 1. Such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love Him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before Him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. It's yours. You may enjoy this. Assurance is a gift that's attached to our salvation in Christ. God would not go to such ends to save us and then abandon us. Of that you can be assured. Now here's the reality though. Not all of us always have assurance. For many, it is a long struggle to, to gain assurance. It was like that for me in the Christian life, and there are times that our assurance will ebb and flow. The Confession is very clear about that as well. In 18.3, the Confession says this, that some true believers may wait long for it. They may conflict with many difficulties before being partakers of it. Yet, being enabled by the Spirit to know the things that are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation and the right use of the ordinary means, attain thereunto. You may not enjoy it yet, but it's yours. What do you do? Well, the Westminster divines are right. It doesn't come to you in some kind of extraordinary way. Not something miraculous has to happen in your life. There's no such thing as a second blessing. No, you just attend to the ordinary means of grace. Well, what is that? It's the Word, prayer, and the sacraments. You continue to sit under the Word preached. You continue to read the Word. You continue to meditate upon the Word. You continue to apply the Word. You continue in prayer steadfastly. You continue to come to the table of the Lord and take and eat. And in His good timing, He will give this grace of your salvation, the assurance of your salvation to you. He goes on to say this in the confession, and therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence, to make his calling and election sure, and thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace, in joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness, in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of assurance. So far is it from inclining men to looseness. in Christ. I think some of us tend to think that, like the Roman Catholics have accused the Reformed Church of, of this being some kind of pride or arrogance, say that we can be assured of our salvation. It's not pride or arrogance. It's knowing who He is, trusting in who He is, and resting in who He is, and what He has done for us. It's ours. Enjoy it. Third, when you can't rest in it or you can't enjoy it, you need to remind yourself. Remind yourself of how secure your salvation is. It has two immovable guardians of it. And Paul shows us that here in the text. He makes that argument. You have two immovable guardians over your salvation. The love of God the Son and the love of God the Father. I'm not always sure... No, is sure how I will persevere through the next trial or the next tribulation or the next distress. But that isn't where our confidence lies. No, he says we're more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. He has loved us. How do we know? How do we see that? Well, that points back to verse 34. He exemplified it and he exercised it by his death upon the cross. He loved us. And what were we when he loved us? We were truly unlovable. We were enemies. We were rebels. So how much more will his love sustain us now that we are no longer enemies but sons, as he told us back in verse 15? He loved us then. He'll continue to love us now. He can't redirect His love away from His people. He died for them. Nothing can separate us from His love. And His love always accomplishes His purposes. came down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing. That I should lose nothing of all that He has given to me. Depths are His love. Ephesians 3 that great text about the love of Christ where Paul prays it, right? It knows no height. It knows no depth. It knows no length. It knows no breadth. Friends, whatever love you know in Christ, you know but a thimble's worth of the ocean of His love that exists. You and I fathom of the love of Christ is no more than a toad dipped into the water, has knowledge of the entire Pacific Ocean. His love for you is that vast and vaster still. His love is greater than all things. So you run to your Savior you plunge your soul into the depths of his love? His love is constant. His love will not diminish. His love is free. His love is full. It's here that the soul is fed. It's here that we find life. Octavius Winslow said this, Christ's love touching your hard heart will dissolve it. Touching your cold heart will warm it. Touching your sinful heart will purify it. Touching your sorrowful heart will soothe it. Touching your wandering heart will draw it back to Jesus. Only bring your heart to Christ's love. Because in its existence, its reality, its fullness, and its freeness. Believe in His love. More than conquer. shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I give them eternal life and they will never, never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the hands of the Father. And that's where Paul goes next. This is a second guardian over your salvation. The Father's love. You couldn't have two greater attack dogs over your soul. The Son's love and the Father's love. And then if we go back in Romans 8, you're filled with the Spirit. That's a good deposit. Nothing can assault that. Verse 39, the love of God the Father. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the Father showers his love upon us. Christians, you and I have have two beams of light shining upon our souls. the Son, and the Father's love. And you will never be without the light of His love. You're safely in His arms if you are in Christ because you're the object of His love. You can rest in the harbor. You can have peace in the harbor of His love. You can have joy in the harbor of His love. And you will for all of eternity. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give you praise. That you are a God of such great love. That you give enemies salvation, and this is love, not that we loved you, but that you have loved us, and sent your Son to be a propitiation for our sins. It is an amazing thing to be an object of such great love. We confess, Father, that we often doubt it. We are not consistent as you are. We are not persistent as you are. We are not as persevering as you are. Ah, may you continually assure us more and more of our salvation as it is rooted in your love. And may we know all the freedom and all the joy and all the peace and all the confidence that comes with it. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And our answer is nothing, no one, not anything. We believe it. Help us in our unbelief, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.